tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. How are you guys doing? I just want to let you guys know we actually just launched a new audio series that just went live yesterday. You guys can hear it on all podcast platforms. I'll link them at the very top of the description if you'd like to check them out. I'm talking about on Google, Android, whatever, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It doesn't really matter. You guys just type in Speak the Truth and you guys can find it. I'm going to show you guys and let you guys listen to a little piece from the very first episode. Okay. Now, this one did not make the, the main headline news, but inside of New York City, a woman who was being held hostage wrote, please call the police on her Grubhub order. Yes, her Grubhub order. Now, the crazy thing is, is this restaurant that actually received it just started using Grubhub like a month ago. They didn't even utilize Grubhub. They started utilizing Grubhub just because of the pandemic and they had to actually fire some of their employees that were delivery drivers. Now, my initial thought was, how did she even get time to write and make a Grubhub order? You know, you're being held hostage. Like, why? What, what the heck? What is going on? Was this individual who was keeping this, this individual captive, were they hungry, trusted her to make food order for the both of them? Anyway, police showed up and arrested a 32-year-old male. Yeah, his name was Kamoy Royal. So he's actually being charged with attempted criminal sexual act in first degree, sexual abuse first degree, strangulation in the second degree. That is just for the, for the first instance you guys this heard. Honestly, who knows what would have actually happened or ended up with if it wasn't for the restaurant using Grubhub. Like, think about that. That's kind of crazy. A, a restaurant using Grubhub saved a woman's life, essentially. Now, I'm going to be doing these things like twice a week. Hopefully, they're somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes. They're going to give you guys something to actually listen to while you're driving and or at work. Bored. Promise you. It's not Russia, Ukraine. It is news-oriented, and it's actually, I mean, some of the stuff I found, I could not believe was making headlines, and it's kind of funny. Some of it's not. Some of it's like, what in the f- What? Anyway, go check it out. I'll be linked at the very top of the description. So, the United States Congress is actually looking to um, make Putin's war inside of Ukraine. They're going to try to pin this as an act of genocide. There's a bill right now that is actually being written that designates Russia as a state which is sponsoring terrorism. I had to do a little bit of research, honestly, to figure out what they could be, what it actually could be done, that is, other than just more sanctions. And I keep finding out they keep saying the word consequences, but never really say what those consequences are. It took a bit of uh, digging for me to find, but I did find a better explanation, and it really hits home why the Biden administration hasn't really done anything as of yet. Now, stating that Russia is committing genocide would actually require the United States to intervene physically, like physically, in which they have done in the past with success. Now, we know and we have heard on, on, on this channel, uh, coming directly from Russian state TV, that they would like to wipe the idea of Ukraine and Ukrainian people off the map and from this world gone from the earth. Yesterday, Russia targeted a shopping mall full of civilians, which we'll talk about here in a second, which isn't going to help their cause when it comes to how the, the world views them. But back in 1999, Bill Clinton was the first president to actually recognize an act of genocide, saying that the Serbian forces were carrying out a deadly campaign against the ethnic Albanians inside Kosovo. Now, NATO actually intervened back then and did 78 days straight of airstrikes, which ended up actually forcing the Serbian fighters to withdraw from Kosovo. 
Now, yesterday, a shopping mall was actually targeted inside of Kremenchuk, Ukraine. It's going to be southwest of Kharkiv. There hasn't been any fighting and nothing going on. It's just been, well, I would say everything is, is normal for a, a wartime uh, situation, I guess you'd say. It's just normal. Okay, this is nothing more than a war crime against humanity and an open act of terror against a civilian population. They're trying to instill fear on these people. It has been said that there's over a thousand civilians inside the shopping center during the time of the strike. The death toll is currently sitting at 18 confirmed with over 60 injured and another 36 people are considered to be missing. Now, this video I'm going to be showing you guys or let you guys listen to if you guys are on the podcast side of things is from a gentleman who is on the ground there and his name is James Longman. He'll give you guys an understanding of exactly what the picture of it looks like aftermath. If you guys are listening, so thank you to James for taking this video uh, so it can be shared. We've arrived at the mall in Kremenchuk and take a look. I mean, this this is the level of devastation that's been caused. I mean, just the facade of the mall is standing. You can see behind me, that's how deep it goes. It's completely demolished. Uh, this is, there's a huge emergency services operation going on here. You see fire trucks uh, all around um, because there's an enormous rescue operation going on, hopefully, rescue operation, um, but the fear is that there'll be more bodies uh, under the rubble. Um, and the bottom line is Ukraine says there was absolutely no legitimate military target anywhere near here. So Russia must have known, they must have known that there was a mall full of families out shopping um, and they hit it anyway. Now, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine has stated that Russia will be held accountable for the atrocities they've committed inside of Ukraine. Also, the French came out and said that they're Russia also must answer for the deadly missile strike at the, sh uh, the busy shopping center. Now, the question is, and the question I have pretty much for everybody, how are they going to hold them accountable? Nothing really has been done for the massacres they already committed inside of other parts of Ukraine, up in Bucha and Kiev. You guys know all the stuff that's happened down in Mariupol as well. More sanctions aren't going to do the trick. Now, the stuff that they're talking about with the gold, that's going to do a little bit, but, I mean, what other sanctions could it be done? Intervent uh, intervening with, with troops on the ground will literally end up being... A World War III type scenario, I would think. I don't really have an answer personally on what needs to be done, but if it was me at this point, I probably would start to have to really some have some serious thoughts and considerations about actually putting troops on the ground. That's me. It's just me as an individual. That's only really the way I see it. How, how else is this thing going to end? Honestly. Uh, the United States is planning to actually provide Ukraine with NASMs, air defense missile systems. Uh, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't know much about them other than what I've actually just researched. And once I found out about them, I was like, wow, this is this is a big deal. Uh, this is this is the thing that actually protects the capital here in America. It's capable of engaging 72 targets simultaneously. Yes, engaging 72 individual targets at the same time. The max effective distance of this thing is 25 kilometers or 15 miles with a max altitude of 16 kilometers or 10 miles with 85% hit probability. Now, just to reference on how high that is for anybody who didn't really understand, because I didn't, I had, to, I had to look it up. That's twice as high as a commercial airliner flies, and that's about the max altitude our bombers fly. So what is really crazy about this thing is all the pieces that are needed to make it actually work don't have to be in the same location, so it'll actually be next to impossible for the Russian military to target these systems, and each radar is actually capable of replacing the others if one is to be taken out. Now, all missiles can be fired at various targets within 12 seconds. I mean, this thing's pretty insane. And just for your reference, the Canadian military ran a simulator using their F-18s, and they were unable to find any of the batteries while the NASMs have had or were able to actually have 18 simulated kills. So 
that's pretty insane. Like, do you really think the Russian military is going to do any better than the Canadians? The Canadians couldn't even find one. And the Nazims were able to take down 18 of their F-18s trying to find them. That's with them knowing that they're inside the area. Like, that's pretty crazy if you think about it. Now, the deputy state of Duma is now claiming that London will actually be the first city to be bombed in the event of another world war. <sighs> so according to him, I feel, we feel like we talk about this stuff every single episode now. It just keeps getting worse and just keeps piling on and piling on. We're in the late 30s all over again. You know, we're just doing the same thing over again. History repeats itself. But apparently, according to him, the blockade of the Russian equipment inside of Kaliningrad leads to war. Then the British capital will actually be the first to suffer. We understand perfectly well that when the armed forces achieve the goals set by the president and reach the western borders of Ukraine, the rest will certainly not be about Ukraine. The topic was announced last autumn. It is perfectly formulated by the president. All European leaders were notified, as well as our so-called partners. Everyone knew about it. And now about Europe and its own survival, a military presence has to be established on the border with Belarus. In Kaliningrad, it exists and is combat ready. It can potentially create a safe corridor for our supply chain to Kaliningrad. It has to be cleared without a doubt. Those who are waving their Article 5 in the air should roll it up and shove it you know where. It's our territory and we'll decide what to bring in it. From one region of Russia into another, it's useless to cite international law. Especially since that law is forgotten and squashed, it no longer exists. So I hate to break into this guy, but when did international law not become a thing? Just because you as a country don't want to follow the international laws, don't make them not true. When I was looking at Europe's vulnerable spots or critically important objects, militarily speaking, I can tell you the following. For example, no less than 40% of crude oil is imported and processed by Netherlands in its coastal areas. It's such a small spot that it would be hard to miss. When we say that nuclear weapons might be used, maybe or maybe not, how will a caliber missile fly across Europe? It will whistle by, or it could be launched from a submarine, from another side. I assure you that when a spigot closes and crashes over there, no matter how all of them are boasting, especially if you count the number of oil tankers, the main supply chain is via oil tankers. We don't even need a caliber. A torpedo will do the trick, especially if it's docked at port. It will burn along with all the port's infrastructure. Europe will not only freeze, but totally croak. There are many pressure points like this. I won't spend time discussing them. I was professionally looking at all of that. It would be nuts to claim that they're invincible. Now, I have no idea if anyone inside of Europe is actually scared of the Russians actually doing something, but it should tell you who they're actually thinking is their largest enemy inside the region. Go ahead and send an F-35 to Ukraine. We'll show you what our S-300, S-400 are capable of. Then Lockheed Martin will be carried out feet first. That will be the end of it. Now there are also S-500. An S-500 is a near-Earth space. This is a hint to American Space Force. We're ready to take you all down. So you know me being American, it makes me a little bit mad, I guess you say, to hear them saying things like this. But you know, I realize... They are really saying this stuff to the people that are watching their programs over there inside of Russia and may not have an understanding of the actual power of the American military. I'm just, I know, I'm an American, but I'm being honest with you. I really hope for their sake we never have to show them. It's the same thing. What happened in World War II, what did the Japanese uh, generals say whenever they hit us in Pearl Harbor? We, we may have, what, woke a sleeping giant, sleeping beast. Like, you don't want to poke the bear. Like, this is something that I, I just... I feel like the Russians, I mean, they're pulling out freaking tanks from the 50s. Like, like, they're ha like right now, they're fighting a war with stuff that's like 70 years old. Like, what, what the heck? 
Anyway, but you know what? I got something that actually made me laugh a little bit, and I read it. Uh, so during a raid inside of Kiev, police actually discovered two nightclubs uh, were violating curfew. This is stuff that shouldn't be going on, clearly. During a time of war, these men probably should be fighting now. As a result of these nightclubs, there were 219 men inside of them who were actually handed a summon to military registration and enlistment office. So imagine going out to party and then getting hit with a note of conscription while you're literally out partying, party, like partying. Honestly, they deserve it, and I believe all the military-age males who are able to do so and fight, that don't have any like missing limbs and so, so on and so forth, the mental, mental issues, they should be fighting for their country personally. I do believe that. Now, also, how do you find yourself inside of a club environment during a time of war where you literally could drive a few hours down the road and it'll lead you to the front lines with the Russians? I, I, don't, I don't really understand that entirely. That's somewhat strange to me. Like, I, I don't, maybe I'm just a different kind of person, but I, I, I don't think I could mentally be like, yo, I'm going to go out and party tonight knowing that my fellow people, like, it just, I don't know. That's just me, though. You know what? Real quick, I'm going to tell you guys, uh, do me a favor. Go to uh, Instagram right now and follow our new project that is launching this weekend. It's uh, You guys can type in Disposed TV. That is D-I-S-P-O-S-E-D TV. Yes, Disposed TV on Instagram. And you guys can actually find us on Twitter as well under Disposed News. This new thing is now going out. The new YouTube channel is up as well. And I will link it in the comments down below if you guys would like to watch the first documentary, which should be going up this weekend. It's about Ukraine. We have a guy that I'm hiring who will be here tomorrow. Today, I'm actually flying to D.C. for a Ukrainian fundraiser event uh, with with James Vasquez and, and some other guys. So I'm going to be linking up there. I'm hiring another gentleman who is actually coming into tomorrow, like I said, uh, He's already been over there two and a half months. He's a journalist. He's going to be coming over here. We've, we've already passed 6,000 subscribers, by the way, in the new Disposed TV channel uh, that hasn't even had a single video posted on it yet. So thank you so much for all the support out the gate. I got a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts that we're going to be doing some crazy stuff here in America as well, going into some, some areas that we probably shouldn't be going into. Seriously, like I'm not kidding. Some of the stuff that I have planned, like I want to get into the stuff and the nitty gritty that, that, and your mainstream media outlets are not getting into and or doing and are too scared to do. Like me and my very small team that I have are going to do that over there on Disposed TV. If he doesn't know what Disposed means, it means addicted, addiction. I just want to just go check it out. Disposed TV on Instagram and Disposed News on Twitter. I just launched a Twitter thing like two or three days ago. But anyway, so I read from a Russian source, by the way, that the Polish Armed Forces will actually be increasing their military to 400,000 strong from the current 150,000. Previously stated, by the way, that they're actually doubling their size to 300,000. I believe that was like a couple months ago, but I cannot confirm the 400K to be true, but I wouldn't doubt it with what is going on currently. I do know that Joe Biden plans to announce an extension of some of the increased U.S. troops presence inside of Poland, so I would assume that Poland's going to increase theirs as well. Don't know exactly. I'm sure that a lot of details are going to be kind of left in the gray area. Currently, the United States has 100,000 troops deployed inside of Europe. Now, NATO is actually increasing its troop sizes right now from the current sizing of 40,000. There's 40,000 troops under NATO. Right? Their quick reaction force, their quick force, I guess you would say. 40,000 men. That's a men and women. That, that's quite a bit. Okay, They're going to be going from 40,000 men and women to now over 300,000. Yes, that's almost 10x. I guess it's 8x, 7.5x. I mean, that, that's quite a bit. I mean, you're looking at a seven and a half times multiplier of the amount of men and women that are going to be underneath the NATO response force. And this has to do with what is going on with Russia as of late. We will enhance our battle groups in the eastern part of the alliance up to brigade levels. We will transform the NATO response force 
and increased the number of our high readiness forces to well over 300,000. We will also boost our ability to reinforce in crisis and conflict, including with more pre-positioned equipment and stockpiles of military supplies. So before we move on to the mapping piece, I want to tell you guys, uh, there's been a little bit going on in the ground. Um, there's another piece I'd like to show from you from my fantastic, like one of our favorite gentlemen that's inside of Russia. I mean, this guy's great. This time they're talking about putting Iskinders on the western side of Belarus that they're able to target all of Europe. Everyone was arguing over Lithuania. What kind of Solvark corridor do we need all the way to the sea? It's like they're talking about... The corridor from the kitchen to the living room, 20 kilometers, 40 or 60, what should it be to break through for a corridor where NATO forces would be on both sides? Not one normal member of the military would go for it. We need to break through for a corridor from St. Petersburg along the Baltic. Along then we'll have a normal supply route for the city of Kaliningrad. If someone doesn't understand it that way, then we will have to thoroughly explain it. I see no other option. That is the only way. We go it alone. No need to involve Belarus. So the blockade of supplies into Kaliningrad seems to be the path to another World War III. After the conversation of the presidents, people in the West were having heart attacks when Lushenka and Putin have spoken, and it all became clear. They had a very good conversation about Iskinders. Iskinder station along the western border of Belarus would cover 100% of Western Europe, up to 500 kilometers covered by the ballistic missile system, and that is a stealth cruise missile. With our air defense systems, including imported ones, their efficiency output is 90%. Nine out of 10 missiles reach their target. And when they try to shoot down, it happens. I believe that to be a great result that should give our enemies some serious thoughts, regardless of how much the West is provoking us into using nuclear weapons. First, we should keep them fully combat ready, understanding that the time may come, but not to use them. Considering the threats posed by nuclear weapons, develop and realize the plans as needed to liquidate all means of an attack that threaten the territory of Russia. We're capable of accomplishing that. That's why it's understood why we are currently using less than 18% of our armed forces, which is our peacetime army, because we are ready for direct confrontation with armed forces of the entirety of NATO. So this guy's actually claiming that 9 out of 10 missiles would hit their target, but a senior U.S. defense official has actually stated that Russian missiles are looking uh, to be more on the failing side of somewhere between 20 and 60% of the time. Literally 26% of the time they're failing. So I don't really think 9 of the 10 would actually be hitting their target. It's going to throw that one out there. If you have 60% failure rate, you're looking at what? Six are already failing of the 10 that have been shot. So, And we, we know that a lot of these these Russians, they, they haven't really upkept their, their, their vehicles and their equipment and their missiles. They haven't really done it very well. So they've lost a significant amount. Uh, but that being said, all right, we're going to move over to some mapping and talk about what's going on in the ground over there inside of Ukraine. All right, so over the last 48 hours, we're looking at Kharkiv. So everybody is just, as uh, it were, so red is Russia, blue is Ukraine. Most of you guys do. And the yellow circles are now going to be heavily contested areas where a lot of the fighting is taking place. So over the last 48 hours, there really hasn't been a lot of advancements from the Russians on the outside of Kharkiv. They have actually tried to push through in certain side of areas, but for the most part, the attacks were repelled by the Ukrainians. Now, the only thing I know that has happened, in fact, over the last 48, 33, three days or so, is the shelling of the city has actually increased a little bit, uh, a, a bit more. But there's been no change on the ground. And the only area that is is going to be the most cru crucial area, I say the critical area of Kharkiv, is going to be up in the area of Rubazan, as you guys can see here, which is going to be on the north 
northeastern side, the most northeastern side of, of Kharkiv right now, for everybody who's listening, the Ukrainian military most likely will not be able to drive the Russians from this area entirely. They, they have a large amount of men inside of Chernobyl, by the way, just so everybody is aware. There's a lot of men, and there's, there's actually there's a one-to-one ratio, from what I know, of men. So you have one Russia, literally a run Russian to the amount of one Ukrainian. So it's it's pretty even inside this area for the most part. So I don't see them actually pushing them out. Uh, but the Russians do need to regain control of Stari Saltiv, which is going to be south of here, which is, uh, of course, they need to guard the line of communications from Belgorod to actually Izium. So Stari Saltiv itself, like I said, is just south of Izium. They need to actually regain control. So they need to have control of roughly this area. Because right now, if the Ukrainians really wanted to, they could push all the way across here, which they have done in the past. As you guys can see, these little blips right here, those two areas on the other side of the river, those were actually controlled at some point by the Ukrainians. Now, that's pretty much it that's been going on in Kharkiv. We're going to slide down over near Izium, um, out the gate. There really hasn't been a ton going on. Other than the southern side, there's been a couple uh, assaults that have been actually repelled by the Ukrainians. Other than that, no real change in the Izium front. Now, we're going to shift over to Lizchansk. Lizchansk is where everything's really going on. Now, there's a ton going on. You guys know Lizchansk is going to be in the northeastern side, I guess you would say. i got a more close-up map I'd like to show with you guys. So we pretty much went from Kharkiv, which is right here, Slid all the way out, and now we're going to be sitting inside of Lischance, Papazna, uh, Bakhmut area. So this is pretty much, I'm going to call the north, northeastern front. That's what we're going to call it for right now, this pocket. All right, so this is what we're looking at. So the Russians have actually been able to secure a bit more ground over the last 48 hours. They have. They've, they've taken a little bit of ground. Uh, we're going to look at the 3D mapping here in a second and, and give you guys more of an understanding as to why. Now, there's currently heavy fighting taking place in the northwest side and the western side of Bila Hora. Okay, so Bila Hora, for everybody that's listening, is going to be on your southeastern side of Lischansk. Okay, it's probably the, it is actually the last town before getting into Lischansk. Now, the Russians have been able uh, to near the town of, yes, we're going to jack this name up. Let's give it a shot. Verka, Verk, Noka, Minika. Anyway. That one right there, they've been nearing this thing, which is an extremely important crossroad for the supplying of the city of Lizchansk. It is one of the last cities, uh, as you guys can see, it literally is one of the last towns, I guess you'd say, on the T-132 route that leads into Lizchansk. There's heavy fighting taking place right now inside of this area. Now, I do believe that the Russians are not going to go after Lizchansk as of right now. Okay, I believe they're going to continue on this outer edge, and we'll rather take the easier approach and actually head towards Bielorvika. Okay, so as you guys can tell, just north, uh, northwest of here, they're going to try and cross all the way over. I think this is the route they're going to take. Now, this is me just taking a gamble and a guess. Now, take a quick look at this 3D map. So I'm going to go ahead and pull this thing up for you guys. So here is the area they have secured. You're talking about low hills, not, not a lot of terrain change. They're pretty much just on top of these ridge lines. Now, here is the line as to which it stops. Everything on the, I guess you say, the right side of this screen is going to be controlled by the Russians, and everything on the left side is going to be controlled by the Ukrainians. As you can tell, it is a large valley that goes through here. Okay, so here's Bielahora is going to be over here on this eastern side, southeastern side of Lischansk. There it is right there. This is currently contested. This is where all the heavy fighting is actually taking place. Is more on this hilltop area that separates Lischansk and Bielahora. So, as you can tell... For the most part, it's going to be very difficult for them to get across this, this side. Not saying it's not going to be possible. For the most part, the ground they have taken here recently was a lot easier for them to take. And as you can tell from here, it's a little bit more flat and it's just on top of the ridge lines. So it wasn't really 
going down to the hills and valleys and such. They just kind of moved across an open area. Now, I will be thinking that they're taking this route towards Bielorvika because by doing so, it would actually cause the possibility of them cutting off the city of Lishans and securing the bridgehead across the Donetsk so they can actually get supplies and their men faster on this side. Okay, Imagine if they're able to push all the way across, create a bridgehead right here in Bielorvika, which they've tried once, so we know they have routes leading in here to get supplies in and out. Imagine if they're able to. Now they have this thing completely cut off. Okay, I do believe that could be the thing. They will sustain less casualties in doing this, and they also will essentially try to starve the population out like they have in the past on Amari Pool and so on and so forth. Now, this, of course, is just my guess as to what the Russians plan to do, so take it with a grain of salt if need be, but it's just me making a guesstimate of what I see could be happening and what looks like is happening as of right now. If the Russians are able to sustain the current momentum they have, it will force the Ukrainians to retrograde south. It will force them to do this so they're not encircled and trapped. Now, I know a lot of you guys and gals out there that hear this kind of stuff, you guys will get mad and pound your fist on the keyboard because you think I'm pushing some Russian propaganda for some odd reason. But I believe this could be happening over the next two to four weeks at the current pace. Okay. Now, hearing this probably makes some of you guys worried, like I said. But I could be seeing this as, as, as kind of a good thing in a sense that doing this will actually allow them to save more of the Ukrainian men and women from clearly being encircled, but also will allow them to set up a strong defensive line along the MO3 route between Bakhmut and Slovinask. Okay. All right, so just take a quick gander at the map with me for a second. You want to go from Lizchansk and pull these men back, these men and women back, so they can actually set up a new line. They pull them all the way back. Now they set up something that looks something like this. Okay. All the way along this front. Yes, you may be losing this ground right here. Okay. If they're doing something like this and they're able to actually hold them off uh, long enough for them to get new fitted units to come in from the, with Western supplies, that is, they might be able to actually mount some sort of counteroffensive to actually take back this ground. So the big thing here is they, they hope to get Western equipment in so they can actually push them back out. So you know the Russians have actually sustained significant losses inside of this area. So the Ukrainians, they have. They both have. But for the most part, the Russians have sustained more. Uh, when it comes to actually assaulting defensively held positions. Now, Ukrainian forces have actually discovered Russian sabotage and recon units near the towns of Spirian and Yakolvika, and both of these groups are actually eliminated. Uh, let's see here. I can pull these up. So there's one is right here. It's going to be on the opposite side, by the way, of... So here they both are. Here's both those cities. If you guys can tell, they're on the opposite side of this T-102 route or 1302 route. I will want to take note real quick. Now, them pushing all the way back doesn't mean the Russians are going to take over that entire area because you guys also got to remember that there is a very large ridge line that runs like this. I mean, it cuts this in half, just like that. Very tall, very difficult. It's going to be very, very difficult for the Russians to push northwest out of here. Okay? So that's why I'm saying if they're able to actually push back on this route, it's going to be difficult for the Russians to actually go up and over with their equipment. It's going to be almost next to impossible. Now, both of these towns, by the way, were on the opposite side of the route that's, that's leading into from Bakhmat to actually Lishan. So it's clearly there are some weak points in security along this route where there's sabotage groups were actually found. So we're going to be pushing into the Bakhmat area, which is just right here. Uh, Ukrainian forces were actually able to repel the Russian attack that's been gone, ongoing over the last few days uh, in Klinov, and they've regained full control of this city, which is right here. So two days ago, this was heavily contested. Now it's under Ukrainian control, and they've actually pushed them back south. The Ukrainians were actually able to post another counteroffensive. We were able to push the Russians back out of the town of Zatsev. Okay, so right here was heavily contested two days ago. They pushed them all the way back towards the MO3 route. 
Okay. Now, while they've been able to push them back towards and across this route, it has been noted that the Russians are currently trying to entrench along this highway to maintain control of it. There is currently heavy fighting taking place just south of here, by the way, and maintaining control of this MO3 route is extremely crucial. This is where that heavy fighting is taking place. They are currently trying to entrench right here along this route, leading in uh, out of Luhansk into Bakhmut right now. So, that's pretty much the, the area right now that I believe is, is extremely crucial, is along this entire, well, pretty much this entire line right here. It's extremely crucial, and I don't believe the Russians are going to go after the list chance as of right now. I think they're going to push across or over to Bilorvika if they possibly can. All right, so we're going to go over to Kyrsen. So everybody, we're going to hop on our little jet here, like where the magic school bus or some shit. Move from here and move all the way over to Kyrsen. Some of you guys may not know what the magic school bus is, but... On the northern front line of, of Kyrsten itself. So Kyrsten, I call this the Kyrsten front line. I should say, here's Kyrsten down over here. This is, there's pretty much a massive ongoing offensive by the Ukrainian forces in this area. Now, the, they were able to complete the liberation of two towns on the most northern front. Okay, a few days ago, they were able to push through Olhain. Okay, Olhain's right here. And then they pushed out to the eastern side, and they were able to secure the control of the eastern side as well. Both these cities have now been or challenging, I guess you would say, would actually been uh, liberated by the Ukrainians. So hope you guys did enjoy this video over here. I do love you guys. Please go subscribe to the new channel, follow us, all that kind of good stuff. I love you guys. I am out. I'll see you guys tomorrow.